0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Grounds Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I got Tucker Payment. He's from Clearview Fire and Emergency Services in Canada. They're about an hour and a half north of Toronto. Uh, welcome, Tucker. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Grant. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your fire service career
1: and about your fire department. Hey, uh, I've been in the fire service for 17 years. Uh, I work both full-time and uh, paid on call. I'm an acting captain uh, in my full-time department and uh, the paid on call department, which is Clearview. I'm, I'm one of the senior men. Um, you know, we, uh, we're a pretty busy department for paid on call. We're about, you know, 800 calls a year. Um, we have five stations that span over Uh, 557 square kilometers which is about 215 square miles I guess uh, and a population of about 14,000. We have a full-time chief deputy training officer and prevention and about 80 paid on call guys.
0: So talk to us about paid on call for you guys. When a call drops what's that response like?
1: Um so yeah so depending on that um we're we're pretty rural um so for a rural fire we would generally get uh three engines three tankers and usually two squads responding which could mean anywhere from eight people responding to 40 depending how many guys are available that time of day
0: and so some of the struggles i'm sure you guys run into there is that you don't know who's on the rig necessarily with you um, and I imagine training has got to be tough so that you can all be on the same page. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, we do have a really good training here, Um, but the struggle is, is, is who are you getting and when are you getting them? Um, And we run into that a lot. Um, So yeah, when you, when you jump on the truck, you're really looking around to see who you got because the experience could be, you know, four guys in the truck with you with less than two years experience. Right. So it's, It definitely can be a challenge.
0: So talk to us a little bit about how you guys manage fire scenes with that kind of resources. Are you guys doing uh, taking the fire just as it comes? Do you have uh, pre-arrival and tool assignments? Is it IC driven or how how do you guys do that?
1: Um, Generally, it's IC driven. Um, So the chief and deputy respond to all major calls. And and that is a big reason why is because they never know the experience level of what's going to show up that day. Um, So IC drives it, but we do have seat assignments in the trucks um, and everybody kind of knows those roles, but it's up to the senior guy or the officer in the truck who who can kind of change that, right? Everybody hops in the truck and you look back, you might just say, you know what, you're going to do this and you're going to do that opposed to just a straight up seat assignment.
0: Exactly. So talk to us about your search culture within your department then.
1: Uh, generally we do an oriented sort search. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's based on experience levels. So, uh, if I have a couple of senior guys with me, we might do a split search or an off the line search kind of thing. Um, but generally it's pretty oriented. We, we try to go in and start with a right hand search unless, you know, we get information to to dictate otherwise.
0: Yeah, dude. And I want to stop on that point because it's so big that, um, Especially interior searches, um, oriented search and split search aren't that different. I feel like the difference is, and not mean it's in a derogatory way, but it's one's JV and one's varsity, and that's by looking at your crew. What can we do with this? Obviously, we want to get them uh, out as fast as possible, but we also have to maintain that safety. So uh, I, I can speak from an officer standpoint. There's sometimes some would be a little more oriented, sometimes some to be a little more split, and uh, I'm glad you hit that hit on that. Uh, So um, when you guys are doing your oriented searches, what, what tool assignments are you bringing? Do you guys use ticks? Can you just tell me a little bit about if I was riding on the rig with you right now, we're going to a structure fire with people trapped, how you're going to, how you're going to manage that crew.
1: Yeah. So ideally, uh, you know, the officer, senior guy, they'll grab a tick. Um, You got your tool guy who's going to grab a set of irons, usually halligan and an ax and, uh, you know, along with the hose line, we're going to make entry and you're going to have your guy on the nozzle. We try to typically go in with three guys on a line, right? You have your officer kind of directing using the tick, one guy carrying the line and and the other guy is going to do most of the search. Cool. All
0: right. Why don't you take us to July 14th, 2017? And let's talk about this fire you guys had.
1: All right, Uh, so the call came in around uh, 20, 50 hours. Uh, It was a Thursday night, middle of July, so, you know, people were around. Um, And on dispatch, it came in that there was confirmed entrapment. Um, EMS was on scene. They had been driving by as the call was being called in by by the person home. Um, So we we got dispatched. It was uh, three engines, three tankers, and two squads. Um, the deputy was on on uh, route about two and a half minutes after dispatch, and we had three trucks on route within six minutes. We're, we're fairly spread out; guys are coming from long ways uh, to get to the to the stations. So um, the deputy arrived uh, about 11 minutes and 44 seconds after the dispatch. So it gives you a bit of a time frame. It was outside of town, a bit of a ways. Uh, and he confirmed we had a well-involved two-story farmhouse and one one child was trapped inside. Uh, there was a hydro line down in the front um, and multiple calls kept coming in. As the deputy was arriving, he confirmed that the Bravo portion of the house was starting to collapse, um, but the, or sorry, the Charlie side of the house was starting to collapse, but the, but the Alpha side was not too bad. So his assignment was, I was on the first due truck, we had a bit of an issue when we hopped into the squad uh it wasn't building air so we actually had to switch trucks right away and we hopped into the tanker so there was a little bit of a delay getting out the door on that um but we were the first in truck uh which was on scene at about 13 minutes and our assignment was to pull the 65 start hitting the house and and then we were going to go in and do a search. So we were, we were on scene about 13 minutes in um, and entered about 30 seconds later. So as I got out of the truck, the officer and we had a probie with us, uh, they grabbed the line and I was met by, it was actually a babysitter who was saying there was her, her seven-year-old was trapped in the bedroom, Alpha Delta Corner. So I grabbed some tools and uh, I went to the front door, which I didn't know they didn't use. They used a door that was on the Bravo side. Um, so we forced the front door. It wasn't hard to force. Old farmhouse. And the guys brought the line after they hit the, the Bravo Charlie side, knocked it down a little bit. They brought the line up to the front. And I was going in with, with the Proby. Trying to open the door, we found there was i don't know dog crates and all kinds of stuff behind the door so it was a little bit hard to get get through that door and when we entered we were just met with a wall of heat and no visibility Um, it was kind of awkward you couldn't really crawl but you couldn't really walk because you were kind of walking over things Um, but the the babysitter was saying that the door is as soon as you go through that front door to your right is his bedroom and that's where he'll be So. I got to the door and I don't really remember. I don't think I even really hit the door. I just kind of grabbed onto it and the door kind of folded. So it was it was involved in there already. And as I proceeded through the door, I had the probey stay at the door and I went in and I got tangled in some wires. So I took a second and I was trying to get myself Untangled and when I got untangled I went further into the room and it was really hot I got to the bunk bed and I put my arms up on the second uh, bed and I felt like my entire body was burning like the room just got incredibly hot and So I, I backed out of the room real quick and it flashed and that flash caused the caused the window to break so I yelled outside to the guys and said, hit the window, hit the window. So they hit water into the window and then I went back into the room and again, I got to the bed and when I got into the bed, part of the ceiling collapsed on me and I it kind of knocked me over. And so I quickly backed out of the room, reoriented myself, zero visibility in the room the entire time. And a third time I went back in and when I went back in, I got to the bed, the bed collapsed and, and this boy rolled into my arms and I was able to grab him and kind of move him out outside. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't make it, but uh, it was a really, you know, really emotional call in that regards, right? Seven-year-old boy, you're doing whatever you can to get in there, so. Uh,
0: Talk to us a little bit about the, uh, first off, 65, what is that in? Uh, So, sorry,
1: two and a half inch line.
0: All right, so we clear that up. Um, so it sounds like you ran into some, some problems with the wires and with the the ceiling collapse and all that.
1: What bunk was he on? He was on the top bunk. And the first time when I got there, I kind of jumped on it and pushed my arm all the way across, but he was actually tucked like between the wall and the bunk, the top bunk itself. So he was like mashed way down in there.
0: That's a point uh, I have the privilege to teach with uh, a guy, John Lockwood, and he always covers the bunk bed section. And something he always says is, "Hop up on the bunk bed and try to paint that wall with your fingers." And that, as we go back in after the fire, that's almost like a sign, a war sign, of like some some badass dudes were here because you can see that that finger marks across the back. So I'm glad you brought that up because. Uh, the kids, they do, they roll off, <laughs> they roll off and, and are going to be on that backside of the bed, which we might not find unless we're getting all the way up. What about, uh, what about his condition once, so you end up coming back out and then when you went back in subsequently, um, you ran into the child. So seven years old,
1: but how big was he? I would say probably you know, 45, 50 pounds. Um, Uh, height wise I I don't remember really I just kind of remember the weight in my arms you know so how did you make that uh, removal then Um, so when he when I got onto that bed and it collapsed like he just kind of rolled right into my arms from that point so I just kind of had him in my arms cradled I I kind of hunched over to I mean to kind of protect him from whatever else was coming and it was really only about maybe Ten or fifteen feet to get out that door, so it was just a quick cradle carry. Kind of ran out the door to the front, like, kind, of, then, kind of over stuff because there was a lot of stuff in there. But
0: yeah, and then so did you pass him off then once once you got him out, or
1: how, what once did that I, look like? Set him down for EMS to come and and do their thing, but uh, there was it was it was too late at that point. So all right, and then. After I got out, there was nobody went back in like we went defensive after that point, so
0: gotcha um, I'm trying to think what else on this one uh pretty clear cut uh, you guys are you guys got time stacked against you uh just by the nature of of the paid on call, the delay getting to the station, and this being out um so it doesn't sound like there was a whole lot else you guys could have done um what did you guys take away from this or or Obviously, anytime we have a child involved in a call that makes it difficult. But uh, talk to us about like department or just with within your own self on how you're training on searches or doing anything different.
1: well, i I know for me, um, like definitely when you hear child, like I've got young kids too, I've got nieces, all that stuff. So for me, I you know your heart really starts to pour, right? and and i I think I was fortunate enough that I was able to listen to my head enough and listen to my training. Like, especially when that room got as hot as it did, like I knew I couldn't be there. And in my heart, I knew that he was already deceased when we got there, but your head's telling you, you know, you got to get this kid, right? So, um, you just gotta, you gotta trust yourself. That's, that's the big thing that I, I took away from it. Right. Understand, go back on that training, understand what you're doing, um, In regards to search, uh, you know, like I think, I think that went almost as good as it could have went even with the, with the circumstances, the way they were, uh, it was quick, it was right to where we needed to go. We had good information. Um, so I don't think much has really changed from that call, to be honest.
0: Cool. Uh, Anything else you need to want to add before we wrap up?
1: Um, you normally ask uh, what was the time on removal. Um, so just for your your sake, we were about three and a half minutes from the time we entered to the time I got him out.
0: That's crazy. That's that's awesome timing because that's the time you can control. What you can't control is how long it takes for you guys to get up to the station kit to to actually get onto scene. But uh, that's uh, that's impressive timing there. All right, Tucker. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story. To anyone out there, if you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. This information is for us, by us, and updated in real time. They're doing good stuff with that survey. Uh, they've been running some fundraisers. Uh, remember, this is kind of a not This is all nonprofit. Nobody's making a dime off of it. But their goal is make the website a little more intuitive. They're working on an app so that we can use this information. Uh, a little easier right at the kitchen table when we're with our crews or when we're out doing some training we can uh, spray paint that up on the boards so that everybody can can take away from that if you want to share your story on the podcast reach out to me grant schwalby justin mcwilliams or nick ladine and until next time thanks for listening